This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Netflix, presenting Beasts of No Nation, from writer-director Kerry Fukunaga, starring Abraham Atta and Idris Elba. Nominated by the Screen Actors Guild for Outstanding Cast, and Idris Elba now nominated by the Screen Actors Guild and Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor. When Civil War tears his family apart, a young West African boy is forced to transform into a child soldier and join a unit of mercenary fighters led by the charismatic commandant. Entertainment Weekly declares Beasts of No Nation one of the year's most unforgettable films. Rolling Stone raves, Idris Elba gives a powerhouse performance and Oscar for Best Supporting Actor should have his name on it. The Washington Post proclaims Carrie Fukunaga's creative film as haunting as Apocalypse Now. For your consideration, now streaming on Netflix. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson in Los Angeles. And while we have many movies to talk about at this time of the year, there's one that seems to command the intention of the entire damn planet. So I guess we have to devote our podcast to talking about it, too. Welcome to the post-Star Wars world, where we've actually seen The Force Awakens and have no plans on spoiling it for people, because apparently you get exiled from humanity if you do things like that in these parts but uh, i think both of our reviews were pretty much spoiler free we you know you try because it's such a delicate line to walk there's some big twists in the movie and all that but there are so many people who just don't want to know anything and credit to disney just from a, a marketing standpoint for creating such a mystery around this thing that the moment i sat down on tuesday night and watched it at the New York screening, which was actually a lot later than most people around the country in, in the media space saw it, but it, it did feel like there was this mystique around it, like the, the whole world was sort of complicit in protecting this thing. Yeah, and no, I agree rare. with that. Well, I think what's really great about it is the introduction of, I mean, it's obviously a transitional film where we're, we're updating, every, you know, J.J. Abrams very adept at giving audiences in a culture that he understands today's culture ex- but multi-generational what he what they want in a star wars movie he really did figure that out and he really did deliver it and i commend him for that but my favorite part of the movie even beyond the affection i may hold for general <laughs> leia or 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 han solo or chewbacca or whatever you know little glimpses of of r2d2 and c3po is the new stuff and i think that that's what abrams actually uh did best with well there's was, two ways to look at that one is it's a brilliant coup because it's it's creating a form of of mass market entertainment that isn't happening at the expense of quality i mean a lot of times we talk about big blockbuster tent poles as not needing to be good in order to be successful you know the other way of looking at it is well how cool would it be for somebody to do something kind of edgy and different and take some risks this movie doesn't feel like it's taking risks, but it does feel like it's a lot better than it had to be to be commercially successful. And that's actually really exciting in certain ways. Because, well, I would you know. argue that they're they're fueling a, a long-term... Fr- I mean, Bob Iger paid for 
billion dollars for yeah. Lucasfilm and the the right to make Star Wars movies. And, and there he are wants basically to already, make his money back. Yeah, well, they're already in the black, basically, not just with ticket pre-sales, but with all the ancillaries on this thing, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, no, they're fine. They're not, but not four billion. They still have to catch up with, but um, but they've got you know a whole number, a slew of spinoffs and sequels all planned out with different people like Ryan Johnson and Gareth Edwards, you know, directing right. and and. I'm excited to to see what some of these you know more idiosyncratic directors you know do with it because you do have to be able to put a little bit of your personality into a movie you know just the way Quaron's version of Harry Potter was the best of all the Harry Potters and so this is I think Abrams has done a brilliant job of setting up the whole thing I love the the young leads I love John Boyega and and Daisy Ridley and and BB-8. I love them all. <laughs> so, you know, and, and Oscar Isaac has potential. He didn't have that much to do in this one as a as the sort of, you know, great flyer pilot uh, guy for the resistance. But we'll see. We'll see what they do with, uh, with them in the future. As exciting blockbusters go, it's no Mad Max, but it's a movie that does have a a certain sort of vibrancy to it that is often lost in kind of the the rush to make a, a movie for the general public. I mean, it- well, that's one of the reasons why I really like the section where you know you you have this sort of in, you know first intro where they're bringing you up to speed on what's going on with the dark side versus the resistance, and then you have the. Um, a whole, you know, so that Careful whole and aspect, spoilers. that whole aspect is being, you know, laid out, and then you have this great section on this desert planet, Jakku, where right. we get to meet this young flyer who is a young woman, and she's really good, and maybe she's got the force in her. Maybe she's the one who's going to be wielding the lightsaber. You know, that's fantastic, and you have this black. Guy in a stormtrooper outfit who's 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 defecting. It's wonderful. Well, I mean, everything you're describing is basically, a, a, in in many ways, kind of a, a reboot in, in because of the kinds of ways that it's presenting fresh characters in a dynamic that's already familiar to people to some degree. For sure. And and when when people really each one is in, part of an archetype that's already been yeah. Established. I mean, it, it's only it's, she's Luke Skywalker. You know well, what I'm see, saying? Now, now you're spoiling it for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's just over. We lost like a thousand Screen Talk listeners. But that's okay. They'll come back because once they see the movie, people are going to talk about it totally different ways. I mean, what I what I like about this from a cultural standpoint is that it's such a delicate dance. It has to be good. It has to deal with a universe people take very seriously. You know, generations have grown up and, and raised children around the, these plot lines. And yet at the same time, it has to introduce people to this world. And, and I love loved it that my daughter Nora who's 26 years old and I did do my parental duty when she was growing up she did see these movies but she went and watched all three of the the pivotal you know the first three movies episodes four or five and six which are considered the good ones she she looked at those again and uh, I was proud of her for that well, I think there there are a lot of different ways you can look at what's happening here. One is to look at the movie. The other is to look, like you were saying before, at what's going to come next. We now live in another era for Star Wars. It's going to unfurl over the next several weeks and then the next few years. And I think that next chapter is going to be what is worth scrutinizing because... A filmmaker like Gareth Edwards, who made that little indie sci-fi monsters and then made Godzilla in a very different kind of way, giving him room to play around in the Star Wars universe could, in theory, 
allow for a different kind of blockbuster formula to start to take shape. Him and Ryan Johnson and whoever else is in there, Colin Trevorrow is going to do one. He already had great success with Jurassic World. But, I mean, I think that the idea of... I'd like to see some women directors get in there. Ava DuVernay, it's your turn. Yeah, right. She was hanging with Ryan Coogler and... Colin Trevorrow getting her picture taken at the Star Wars premiere, which I have to confess really was a great deal of fun on Monday night where they took over all of Hollywood Boulevard. It was really a hoot. But at the same time, I almost wonder if we live in a world where Star Wars has the same kind of resonance that it did when it first became a big deal. I mean, I feel like it's informed so much by where these things are coming from that there could be a, an expiration date and almost a, a fatigue for this universe if we're inundated with these movies, even if they end up if, being good for a while. If I were to uh, say that there was one aspect of this story that was less than um, inspiring for me, it, it really was the presentation uh, of the other side, you know, as as a, a uh, kind of nazi-like the dark side fascistic yeah uh no the what's what's the name of of uh, they're, oh, they're called the resistance group no, uh, no it's the, the resistance versus the first order the first that's order. what it is right, the first right. order so the first order is is present you know headed by donald gleason um probably the most thankless role of all the ones right. that were well cast and i think adam driver comes out better and has more to do really um, yeah, the and, bad guys are a little underdeveloped. I mean, the whole the threat of just a bigger Death Star. I mean, I don't know. We've it's, kind of that's been there the before. part of it that yeah, that's the part of it that really didn't work for me. But all they had to do was set in motion some kind of threat. I mean, it's a MacGuffin yeah. basically. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that, it doesn't bother me in theory, but but what I think it speaks to is how how long before all of these kind of plot lines reach an expiration date. I mean, isn't that what happened? Happened or seems to be happening with the Marvel universe? I mean, Avengers two was not nearly as exciting as the first Avengers movie. It felt like we'd no. been there and it was a mess. Well, it still was somewhat satisfying because we like the characters so much. And I would say that's what they did right here. And it's Michael Arndt, who's the one who sort of went in and re-figured out how to pull everything together. And then he was rewritten by... Um, but enough of him is in there so that he got a Writers Guild, you know, credit. And then you have J.J. Um, Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, of course, right. the godfather of, of, of the uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So they're all involved in focusing on the characters, which is what J.J. Abrams did with Star Trek. That's why Star Trek worked, the reboot was that we knew those people and he got them right. And he does this, he does the same thing here. Right. It's it's just so clearly designed to satisfy those sort of things. And uh, the He fans, pushes some buttons. He pushes some there, there, buttons. There are things that people are going to talk about and, and, and theories that will unfurl, and, and everyone can mess around with that. But we live in a different kind of world where people consume stories in different kinds of ways. I mean, when you get to the point where there's going to be Netflix series set in the Star, Star Wars universe and uh, just uh, the, the conversation reaches a certain point where it's so much bigger than the individual movies. And it's, it's what I think people are going to be talking about with Force Awakens is how it's setting the stage for all of that stuff. I mean, it's just... And they, they may be, but they're also going to be talking about the box office records that Disney is clearly 
aiming at breaking. So, so will it, it do 200 million on the opening weekend, which is an unusual weekend to open a big Christmas blockbuster? It's a, it's about a week early. Um, and is it going to uh, demolish all the records that come before over the Christmas holiday, which which is a Christmas, it's a season, it's a box office season. So, so what does, does it, it be- have to hit? Titanic and um, Titanic and uh, the if you do adjusted box, we just did a whole story on this, boys and girls. So if you want to know the nuts and bolts and the details of all the numbers that have to be matched and why it has to be done uh, over this period of time. Um, the biggest December opener for three days with adjusted uh, gross is, is the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring with 110 million, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, 100 million. And then you have um, the first Hobbit, which was actually ahead of the debut of Avatar because there weren't. Uh, and then Titanic didn't have that many theaters back then because so- it's like the ninth pre-Christmas weekend opener or something so it really uh i'm looking let me see what the it's gonna easily break all those records it's like the, the movies point. that that are selling out the screenings that are selling out have to be sold out oh i mean it's just everything is just going to be completely booked in order for he figures records. tom Brueggemann figures that the force awakens will be over 300 million by december 27th easily just doing the math, which is, a, a, a and not, it could get to five hundred million by January third. So that's more than double its budget, unless you take into account P and A on some level. But it, but it's still not enough for this to be the success that they need to be. It's, it's so if it wants that. to beat Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, it has to beat three ninety, and if it wants to beat Avatar, that's three sixty nine. And then Titanic did most of his business after Christmas into the new year, so it doesn't it doesn't matter. Well, they're not um, going to have a problem with drop off. I mean, people are going to come back to this thing. He says than- there will be some drop off, but it won't be. It, 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 it's inevitable, but it it will. But every day during the Christmas break is like a Saturday. So that's why question, it's such a big deal. I mean, we've been anticipating a really busy holiday movie schedule for a while now. Question I I have is I mean this movie is opening in advance of some of those other the, the, you know real Christmas Day releases the Tarantino movie the Joy things like that but could it just steamroll all of that I mean is it just sort of like forget about it You look at Tarantino going off on uh, Disney about uh, booting the hateful Eight. This is a, a very good example of what goes on during this period because when it, if, if, if this is all I'm getting all of this from Mr. Brueggemann if Smart you guy. look at he, he knows his stuff he, he used to be a former, booker yeah, that's why he, that he, he actually was an exhibitor so he knows this stuff he um and he if you look at if you look at the summer, every theater every weekend you have new big movies opening. But it's over a period of time. It's May to December. I mean, May to August. If you look at Christmas, every studio is opening a big movie, and so are some of the Oscar contenders from smaller places. And you have all of them competing for space at, during this intense, intense period of time. And it's about a week. And it's not um, like, so that's why you have Tarantino versus 
Star Wars, the the for the Cinerama Dome, um, and and t- he really wanted the Cinerama Dome. He thought he had the Cinerama Dome. That's why he's so upset because it's the most prestigious theater that he has. I mean, A lot of the seventy one... millimeter houses are small and, the, the, and not the, first tier. The the police boycott thing with Tarantino felt like it got a little out of control. But this is one area where it actually is kind of neat to see him lose it because he's really fighting for he wants his, this movie that he designed for such a particular audiovisual setup to be put in this one place and right man star wars is just stepping on his toes you can't and, fight yeah you can't fight you know the arc light can't argue with disney and star wars why would they they just can't well i mean you know? hateful eight is so long long too i mean you can't book as many screenings in one day no so. not at all that's the other by the way that's the other reason why uh star wars has a really good shot at breaking all those records because some of those other movies were longer well star wars clocks in at, i think it's 130 something so exactly it's, it, there's a lot of movie there when you factor in trailers and all that stuff but it but it, it keeps going it, it fills that time well and yeah you can cram it into the schedule but uh, going back to the question of, of quality, I think there's also a bigger picture conversation here, which is, you know, now that Star Wars is back in action, I mean, is, is this going to make it even harder for other kinds of movies to sort of break in? I mean... No, talk- it's a cannibal... It's, that the, Christmas is a big cannibalizing situation. And but you I'm could argue that, that they're pulling a lot of movies into the theaters. So if you can't get in to Star Wars, you'll go see Hateful Eight leftovers. instead. But what about you know? the bigger picture? I mean, just in this, this newly refurbished Star Wars world that we now live in, I mean, we talk a lot about sort of that, that history of the early 70s when Hollywood was having all these duds and then movies like Easy Rider and The Godfather got made. So then Jaws came along, and then Star Wars came along, and all of a sudden it was back to the blockbuster era. So if Star Wars is back in action and doing well, is that, does that mean that it's, you know, we're just not going to see a lot of risk-taking as a result? from? This isn't news. This isn't news. I mean, all the studios are envious of Disney because Disney has really pioneered this label uh, structure so that they've got Marvel and they've got Lucasfilm and they've got Pixar, you know, they're, they're, and now Spielberg is leaving Disney, by the way, to go over to back home to Universal where he's kept his production offices at Amblin yeah. all these years. He can go Never wherever left. he wants. Spielberg well, is a, I mean, I think it's interesting because it means that, you know, Reliance and Participant and, uh, and, and DreamWorks uh, are all falling under this new, new rubric and, and, and Universal will be the distributor of, of those pictures now. So top 10 list question. Star Wars didn't screen early enough for our list for the critics votes in most cases. Would this one have cracked yours if you had time? No. No, it yours? wouldn't have cracked. No, I don't think so. I would have. I would have thought about ways of, of talking about it because it it's it's a very satisfying movie on on a lot of levels. It's- I really enjoyed it, and I was on the edge of my seat. I wasn't, and I had a great deal of interest and affection, and and I, you know, there were lots of pla- There are lots of places in that movie where you go, whoa, you know, and there's some jaw dropping twists right. where you go, oh I, my god, yeah. You know? I would but, almost say it's 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 one of the better directed. Hollywood movies I've seen this year, full stop. At the same time that the set pieces are very similar to the old movies, so that you don't have this new image of a new thing. Right, it's it's aesthetically consistent. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. The the dog fights are are similar. The the chases are you know she Ridley 
Ridley gets to do a fun chase with her yeah. with her vehicle. I mean, but... I, there there are things I, I had issue with in terms of kind of the way that people talk. Sometimes I think sometimes the screenplay has issues, and and, and sometimes the. Well, oh, there's a lot things. of awful expositional stuff that poor uh, Oscar Isaac has to say, like, uh, uh, run, you have to run. <laughs> right. Or you have well, to hide. And there's also a, there, there's a, a, this cheeky humor element that sometimes works and sometimes felt out of sync with the way that these things you tend to, the, this franchise tends to sound. Which, but the which banter funny. between Han Solo and Chewbacca was delightful. I mean, you know, yeah, that worked for me. Yeah, that, that rhymes with the, the earlier entries for sure. But, you know, there was one uh, list that uh, Star Wars did crack, which was AFIs, because they chose to wait specifically because of this. And you, Anne, have been a part of the AFI uh, list-making process in the past. So which maybe... is why I don't give them as much credence as some other people <laughs> do. I mean, with, the, with all of these group voting, like if you look at SAG, as we were talking about last week, you know, this is definitely an anomalous year, and what we would take as statistically, you know, given, no longer just doesn't apply this year, and it's just it's just not going to be predictive of, of the Oscars. And the same is, and, and the AFI list is a very idiosyncratic group of a combined group of academics, critics, historians like Leonard Maltin, uh, and 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 they all are very different. And look at films and some people from inside the industry. Um, they might have been a little bit leaning toward giving the big short, which was an AFI Fest premiere, um, you know, a berth, or uh, they may have been invested in rewarding Star Wars. Um, you know, it, it, you, the year that I did it, one of the years I did it, they didn't vote for The Departed. They vote, they start, they fill in each of the slots and they vote and they pick a tenth and a ninth and an eighth and a seventh and a sixth. And sometimes when they get up to the top of, and there's only one or two slots left, they've left out some stuff well and that's the, when the really the, heated battles occur and the year that i did it they did not vote for the uh, ultimate oscar winner which but, is but, the departed but, but what is that process like because i mean i've been on the, the gotham nominating committee and that's that we choose you know five movies for best film it's not a list per se but i mean it's a conversation and we choose and there's a little bit of a voting element but you know more generally it's just there is a real conversation about quality did you feel for example in the year that the departed was not chosen was are people really talking about you know, their favorite movies or does it sound more like a political conversation? It's a very wide range of people who are all looking at films from a very different perspective. So that some of those people do represent the way Academy members would look at it. Others represent the way critics would look at it. And those are two very different things. So what is And some that? of them look at it the way academics look at it, which is, again, very different. Wow. And so I found that process of, of co communicating across those languages very interesting, but it by no means represents the, uh, the Academy. Well, what, what I find to be kind of intriguing about that is the divide, because you do, it's, it's very Hollywood. It's mostly studio movies, but you have Carol and you have Room, and people aren't, people aren't picking up on that quite as well. I mean, The Big Short is an interesting entry, and I wonder what it says about that movie, having that in That there. movie has the most momentum right now. That's what's going on with that movie. That movie has, if you look at it, it actually scored a SAG ensemble, which Spotlight did, and which... It's the only other movie besides Spotlight that has scored so many things. AFAI, of, of all the groups, the one that's the most predictive of the Oscars statistically is the Broadcast Film Critics Association, which is a big group. It's like 200 
radio, television, and online critics and reporters. And uh, for some reason, they actually line up really, really well with with the Academy and 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 the Globes. So so Big Short was a comedy at the Globes. And it it is um, also um, the the ten of the BFCA, and so the BFCA has most of the usual movies that we talk about, including Bridge of Sky, Spies in Brooklyn, and Carol and Mad Max, and The Martian, and The Revenant, and Room, and Sicario, which I don't think is going to repeat and uh, spotlight. But are you suggesting that Big Short could just get a lot of nominations, or that it's a serious contender for, say, Best Picture? If you look at the stats, The Big Short is a serious contender for Best Picture. Why am I ignoring the stats? First of all, I'm ignoring SAG to a degree because it's just not an anomalous year. But you have to take it into consideration because it means the actors like it. Secondly, it's um, a comedy. And, and while the difference... This comedy may be more like something like James Brooks's um, broadcast news. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it has a little gravitas because of the subject matter. Sure. But at the same time, it's a very rough, scruffy-looking movie with not a whole lot of what the Academy would consider production value. So I'm, I'm on the fence about The Big Short. I can't, I, I'm not positive that it's in, but it may be. I mean, I've heard filmmaker Academy members, and you talk to more Academy members out in L.A., but I've heard filmmaker Academy members specifically say they didn't really like this movie. So have yeah. I. So have I. So there's real division on it compared to a lot of other movies that we've been talking about. That's for, why I'm know. not sure, right? because it doesn't feel like an Academy movie to me. Yeah. I like it a lot. I really like The Big Short. I think it's a very smart movie. But I suspect that the people who like it most are the actors and the writers and maybe the editors. Those three groups, as opposed to everyone else. Right. Well, so, I mean, it, it, I guess then we just have to wait and see how the next two to three weeks go in that respect. I mean, But the one that seems to be losing a little bit of steam and was not on the AFI list is Steve Jobs. That I mean, I haven't been hearing much about that at all for a while. I mean, I know. Michael Fassbender got some support from critics in our critics poll, which we published this week. But that's Well, Fassbender and Winslet will be in, and so will Aaron Sorkin. Those three will be in. But it didn't get BFCA or AFI. What about Room, though? We, I mean, or we SAG. Room. room is is interesting. It's no SAG ensemble, but Brie Larson is for sure. I mean, that's the little indie that could that's on that list, even more so than Carol in a lot of ways, right? I, I know. I, I, the question, I see people, I, I see five movies that are sure things for Oscar Best Picture nominations. Spotlight the Martian, Carol the Revenant, and Mad Max, for me, are in. And then there's a number of films that are on the bubble. And the bubble would be Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Room, The Big Short, and Inside Out, and Steve Jobs. So Star Wars isn't even a part of this conversation. No. And then the long shots that won't happen, probably, even though Straight Outta Compton was on the AFI list, it wasn't on the BFCA or the Globes. And then you have... Creed. Creed, which is only going to be Sylvester Stallone, only. Amazing. And then you have Trumbo, where even though it's SAG Ensemble, it's no AFI, no BFCA, no uh, Globe Drama. Uh, it's just actors. 
I just have to assume that this is a case where we may have to take Brian Cranston and Helen Mirren seriously. And Beasts of No Nation? Only SAG Ensemble. That's all it got. So this is just a cluttered year with a lot of division on a lot of different movies. So no Joy, no Hateful Eight, and no Danish Girl either. Well, this just brings me back to what I was saying when we had Sasha Stone on last week, which is in spite of the fact that it makes your job a lot harder, it's actually kind of cool that there's, there's so much confusion about the way it seems to be going with a lot of these movies. I mean, so many different directions could unfold over the I agree. next few weeks. It's fun. No, it's it's fun for me. Are you kidding? This is much more fun. To actually have to wrinkle my forehead a little right. bit is, is a good thing. Dig in, dig in. And then it, by, by the it, way, we find out for real what's going on when the guilds come. That's when we'll know. <gasps> I have to go. I have to go. I have to go. <laughs> next okay. week we'll regroup and talk about holiday movies. I got to go Thompson, do Sylvester everybody. Stallone and right. Tom Hardy today. Am Should I a lucky person or what? Tell us all about it soon.